new beginning. Welcome, everybody, to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again and listening to these podcasts. You know, I really, we really appreciate your support and, you know, spreading the word and telling others about um, the topic and our guests that come on because they have very important stories. And uh, it's, I think it's, it's a great experience when they hear and see that um, other people are listening to these because it validates their own story and that someone, someone cares and someone listens. Today we're excited about this uh, interview that we're going to do, interview conversation uh, with Christina Walton, who is a registered marriage and family therapist, studied pastoral counseling, funeral director in the past as well, and currently is a clinical director at Camp Aaron in Hamilton. You can find uh, more information about Christina at christinawalton.ca. All right. Hi, Christina. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Are you excited to do this? I am, and I'm a little yeah, that's okay. Have you ever done a podcast before? Nope. No? <laughs> that's good. All right. So let's get started with this. So how did we meet? I would like to talk to the audience to get an idea of who I am by, you know, why certain guests are on their own. So how did we meet? Okay. So you sent our funeral home an email okay. and said, hi, that's I'm right. Josh. <laughs> well, okay. Well, that was All easy right. enough. Simple enough. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then uh, what happened after that? So then we met for coffee mm-hmm. um, to chat about you doing a presentation for us, and you did two presentations about grief dreams, one for clinicians and one for the bereaved, for yeah. the extra new funeral home. Yeah, and I remember uh, talking to you, and you're just like a warm spirit, you know, like there's different ways you can like categorize people, but you're just like this warm spirit, you know, almost like a butterfly, I would say, if you'd name an animal, right? Like, you're just like very free-flowing. And I liked that, and I liked that of you, and I liked how when we met, you also had appreciation of the work I was doing. And I think, um, I don't know, maybe you don't know, maybe you do, that you, you, I don't get that reaction all the time, right? Like a lot of people don't appreciate when it comes to funeral directors and even people in the grief world, um, the power and the impact that dreams have after loss. Um, and it's just one of those things that people have not talked about, they don't want to talk about it, they're suppressing it for whatever reason, but you had a very strong interest in it. and so. Um, definitely grateful for that because I was able to speak and the turnout was just amazing. Yes, we had really good turnout. We were really happy and you brought your friends who sang and yeah. your artwork and it was wonderful. Both afternoons were wonderful. Yeah, and I met some amazing people and after that some of those people um, wanted me to come and talk at their organizations yes. and stuff. So it's amazing how people get drawn in and then they know other places that you can spread the word. So I'm definitely grateful for the opportunity because I've met so many people from that. Um, and that means more people are hearing about grief dreams yes. and feeling and being able to handle the grief dreams and normalize the experience of, of asking the questions. Yes. And so looking at your own life, so a clinical or funeral director, so I'm guessing, was this something new you had or was this something that you've done for a long time? So that's how I began my professional life in my very early 20s or in the early 1800s. So I was in my second year at McMaster. Uh, studying psychology and my grandparents died very close together my step-grandparents and we were at the funeral home and I started watching the funeral director and his name was Chris and he was warm and friendly my grandmother died first and my grandfather was shocked by that and Chris spent a lot of time talking with grandpa about things and he was very warm and friendly and then six months later we were back there again and he embraced us and was kind and I, I observed him and I thought oh my gosh I think that's what I want to do so I stayed at McMaster to finish my degree. So I was finished, I was doing a three-year degree. 
I was finishing in 1986, so I applied to Humber in February of 1986 in my third year at McMaster. That was before computers. I had to send away the book and look at their catalog and everything. I applied and wrote some uh, pre-tests and things like that and had an interview and started at Humber in uh, September of 1986. Wow, it's such an interesting, if you think of fields that to be in, that's one of them where you really have to be good at sitting with suffering because that's the job. Half the job description is sitting with suffering, and there's the other part. Um, but then, like you, other people would have to, that would be, you know, maybe ambulance, right? People who uh, yes. work in hospitals have to sit with a lot of suffering. And so, what was it like? Were you able to sit with suffering right away? Was it something you're already good at? Um, was it something you learned along the way after saying, after saying, okay, this is what I want to do? Oh, I didn't realize that I had to sit with all this and then had to learn. It was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already in psychology heading to maybe teaching or social work or something, I wasn't quite sure. Um, but when I when I met Chris and then I got to observe actually in the bombing and I thought, oh my gosh, I can actually do this for a living. I loved it all, sitting with suffering, but also the preparation of the body for the families too. That work was very valuable as well. Yeah. We're creating lasting memory pictures for them, for the families, um, by laying some helping them to lay someone to rest. That was very important to me for the families. It's almost like you have to live. There's two versions of you. One that has to be empathetic and you know sympathetic and compassionate with the suffering in one room. The other room, you got to get more methodical and logical with the embalming and this and that. Like it's just like the separate world you almost got to create. I mean, I don't know. That's what it seems like. Yes, and I it it touched on different aspects of my personality. I love the technical aspect as well. It's quiet in the prep room. Um, And everything that we did was for the family. So you were helping to create that lasting memory picture. There's that whole psychological component and the goal of what you were doing. I knew it was for the family. Yeah, and I I keep hearing you saying it's for the family, it's for the family. So I'm guessing um, when you met the other clinical director, it impacted because it helped you with, I'm guessing, your grief process. Like funeral directors can have an impact. Um, on others as they grieve, would that be true? Yes, I, I noticed how kind he was with my elderly grandfather when my grandmother died. Mm. It was just, um, we were expecting grandpa to die first, he had cancer, and my grandmother had a heart attack suddenly and died first. Okay. He was so, uh, he encouraged questions of us, um, he took time with all of us, he was warm, he was friendly, and uh, that inspired me to become a funeral director. Because like a lot of people, I think, would forget that part, right? Like, oh, it's it's in a funeral, but it's just another way that you're helping people on their journey in life. A hundred percent. At a very important time, that doorway, that's that's a very important time in a family system. And um, you can sort of help to change a family system at that time. Some families can heal certain losses that have occurred before the death. Uh, families reconnect. Weddings and funerals are the two, right? Family events when people come together and all the cousins run around. And yeah, I love every aspect of funeral service, every aspect of it. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's uh, like, again, yeah, we always talk about uh, the uncomfortable, like, you know, sitting in the uncomfortable, being in the uncomfortable. And that's, you know, there's moments at a funeral where you know, it's uncomfortable, you know, not everybody's comfortable around crying, not everybody's comfortable around seeing a, a, bo- a deceased body. You know, I was young and I had some funerals I had to attend, grandfathers, uncles, and 
I was okay with it, but you know, some people do tear up automatically, you know, and there's different emotions or range of emotions, but yeah, it's, it's, I can't imagine, but yeah, it's an important part of life. And, and again, it's, you have to try to go through it. That's right. And when you, when you, I guess like you, you meet all different kinds of people from different cultures, what kind of funerals have you seen? Um, and are there differences in how people um, want to honor their loved ones? Yes. So now I'm going back because I, I haven't worked as a funeral director for a while, but um, when I worked at a funeral home in Hamilton, we held the license for the Hebrew chapel. Um, so a lot of the Hebrew families would have the burial right the same day, and people would line up to put the shovels of dirt on top to help bury the loved one, oh. which was very therapeutic. Um, and to watch, too, a little bit different. And I think it gave them that hands-on experience to follow through with their grief. We know that helps with trauma as well, when you can follow through on actions. And sitting Shiva for that time after funeral makes the family take a break okay. from life and people come to them. It's very healthy and holistic. Just thinking back to other ethnic cultures. I did a, um, when I was first licensed, after I passed my board exams, I worked in Toronto at Rose R. Morrison Funeral Home. And we did a lot of, uh, I want to say Lithuanian and Latvian funerals, very hands-on cultures as well. Some cultures are, I'm sorry, my mind is, we had a, a certain religion where they would commit to the prep room and the Hebrew culture as well, they adorn and dress their own loved ones and wash the body and very healing as well. That's interesting, yeah, because when my father passed away, I didn't really do that. My uncle went and looked at the body that like he wanted to, it's his sort of, um, I don't know, guess way of grieving. Uh, but I never did. And like looking back, I don't know if I would, I'd want to, you know, like, because it'd be a d different image that you'd have. That's right. Right? Like, and so you have to sit with that image in your mind. Did you ever see? Um, I've seen, yeah, I've seen my grandfather, um, a couple of uncles. Yeah, it's a different image. I mean, I think Funeral Home did a great job uh, in preparing the bodies and all that. And, and that's a part of it too, right? Because you, yeah. you don't want to distort the image and too much, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was okay at the time. Okay, yeah. And so moving forward uh, in your journey, so what led you then to go with, have to look at children and their grief? Because that's something that you're passionate about. That's something that we sort of, after meeting, just yes. to do these talks, you approached me to say, hey, like, what about this uh, camp you're doing? So could you explain like, the purpose of the camp and, and that, and then maybe also how you even got to think about children and their, and their loss? So I, I worked for a funeral director for quite a while um, until I had my first daughter. And at that time, so that was 1992, when she was born, and the funeral homes were looking at more aftercare and helping with you know, people who were grieving, connecting them to local communities and um, friends and grief had started in Hamilton by then. So grief was being talked about. And I was that funeral director who was calling my families after and asking if they need more cards or do they want to have tea, is everything okay? We did Christmas services um, at that time as well to bring them back in to help at a very tender time of the year. Uh, so the grief area was exploding a little bit and I decided to go back to school to become a counselor. I wanted to spend more time with people than just the time at the funeral. Um, so I went back and got a master's degree very slowly part-time through McMaster and uh, Waterloo Lutheran Seminary through Wilfrid Laurier. And that, that took a while because I had three kids by then. <laughs> by the time I was doing my master's, so I did it slow. Yeah. Um, and my kids all came to my graduation, which was awesome for my master's degree. I got that in 2005. And then I opened a private practice. 
and I still work with PX Germany Funeral Home. That's where my funeral license is, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I keep my license up to date as well. So I do grief counseling for Germany's, and then I have a uh, private practice uh, in Germany. You have such extensive experience with the funeral director. You <laughs> think that they'd uh, speed roll you to the final year, but no, that's that's very commendable. I, yeah, I can imagine three children doing all that. Like, when you pick a goal, right? Yeah. You set your sights, and I set my sights, and and I had help. I couldn't have done it without my husband, right? Yeah. Taking time off work early to pick the kids up, and my mom would take them to school every morning. Couldn't do it without family support. It takes a village, right? Yeah. And yeah, everybody belongs to that master's degree. When I did get the degree, my son was young, and he said. That's it? That's all you get? That's <laughs> I think you thought I should get like a soccer trophy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really tall trophy. That's what they should do, right? Pageant. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. So was it because of maybe your children that you were led more into the children's grief? Or did you see more children? So then I started seeing children in my practice and parents wanting to help their kids and being very protective and not knowing how to talk to their children. And at funerals too, you see the kids running around, but also wanting to come up and put notes in the casket and, and trying to invite them. Um, they're more the disenfranchised grievers because we have that saying that oh, children are resilient. Well, they are, but they are also part of a family who needs to sometimes process their loss and they need to be part of that community. Not always to talk about it, right? We learned about the different types of grievers, but to be present to that and they need to say goodbye and and to connect as the community, part of their family community. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw a lot of that as a funeral director. And again, in my private practice, um, more referrals started coming as children were waiting for groups to join, such as Bowie Families, that's why I met Kimberly Ryan. Oh, okay. Yeah, and school boards and um, kids waiting for groups started coming in to see me for support. Wow. And then in 2014, um, the Bob Kemp Hospice called. It was Jan Nichols, who had offered me my apprenticeship as a funeral director in the 80s, called and said, would you like to join um, as clinical director of Camp Aaron? We need someone. Yeah. And I said, sure. And never looked back. Wow. Camp Aaron, I mean, you were there. Yes, I was there. So that's the, that's the thing that um, you brought this opportunity to be a part of Camp Aaron. I never heard of it before. So could you tell others maybe what Camp Aaron is and how it started? Sure. Um, so Camp Aaron was started by the Moyer Foundation in the U.S. And uh, it was started by a baseball player, Jamie Moyer, and his wife. He was a major league Seattle, yeah. Sure, yep. <laughs> so I met him. I got to meet him and his wife, Karen. Awesome people. They met a young girl named Aaron Metcalf who was dying of liver cancer. She was 17, 15, I think, when they met her. And uh, they formed a bond with Aaron and her family. And Erin's worry was not for herself, but it was for her siblings and her family who would help them with their grief after she died. And Karen and Jamie Moyer made a commitment to Erin, and who's pumps thinking about it, that they would help children to her family and other children to not have to grieve alone. So they started Camp Erin. And there's, there's a wonderful website that the Moyer Foundation has, and there's 48 camps in the US, including Hawaii. Wow. Yep. That would be nice to have a camp there. <laughs> um, and there's three Camp Aarons in Ontario, and Bob Camp was the first hospice to have Camp Aaron. Um, the Dr. J Center in Toronto through Sick Kids Hospital, I think it's Sick Kids, um, were the first Camp Aaron. They just had their 11th camp. 
and then Dr. Bob Kemp was the second, and now Ottawa has one as well. That's incredible. And so what do you, when uh, children go to this camp, what do, they, what do they do? A lot of people are probably wondering, like, how would you even support kids at a camp? Right. So we have high structure in place, as you know, <laughs> with plans A, B, C, D, just in case. So we had 40 children this year. Um, Camp Aaron helps children to realize that they're not alone. And there are other kids who have had losses as well, and they can talk to others in that community of kids and caring volunteers to share. We teach them tools. They learn how to grieve, how to deal with their loss, because it is something they will carry for the rest of their lives, as we know. And there are tools they can learn to do that. Um, Camp Aaron helps to bring hope to children. It also validates the grief that it is important, and that's why we talk about dreams at camp, and we talk about their feelings, and we talk about their connections to their loved one, and that love never dies, and that some memories are a little bit harder to bear, but we can talk about the good memories and the bad memories, mm -hmm. and camp creates that safe place to help some of them begin that grief process. That's so, what camp does. Wow, yeah, I was there, and I can uh, attest to the uh, the, the beauty of it, um, of the children sitting with each other and their suffering, asking questions about their loved ones, it, it's, it definitely would help normalize the experience. Then you're not alone, right? And I think that's as a child, a lot of people stop asking uh, about their grief and guessing right. um, after it happened. So it allows all that stuff to come up. And for me, I thought the most, um, the most emotional part of my time there was the memory wall. And I like it's like, it's funny because I've 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 sat with individuals one on one, I sat with adults in a group, but to sit with 40 children plus the adults who are also have lost others, and to they sort of they went up one by one, right? And they shared a photo and they mentioned who had passed. And a lot of them had a hard time, um, and they would since I miss whatever the event or an activity. It's just like it crushed me. Like I wasn't really expecting that. I was, you know, had tears in my eyes, and I'm just like, wow. Like just, just I just couldn't believe um, what I was hearing. You know, in the sense of children suffering. Because I've only like my brother has children, my sister has children. They haven't lost anyone. Um, the only time I saw them crying when they got a toy taken away, right? Like, so I haven't seen like grief tears from children and it just hit me in a different way that other, um, other tears have hit me before. So for me, I really had to sit with that and, but I also saw the beauty in it, in it all. And did you, do you see the same thing? The memory wall, this was my second year at camp. Um, it, yeah, and I saw when I look at the faces of all of our volunteers, you all have the same look. Mm -hmm. Everybody's face changed, and the children, you could see how patient they were. Nobody had the mooskies. They all sat quietly. What's the mooskies? The jitters. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We like learning new words. <laughs> 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 um, the children wanted to share, and they wanted to hear the other stories as well. They're curious. Very respectful. Very respectful and calm and quiet. I can't imagine what the energy in the room would do for the healing too. Like just people really in there. I mean, just watch someone else cry and that starts to, you know, get the emotions going. Yes. Now have someone tell stories about loved ones that have passed and then, wow, the energy I think is, that's the powerful stuff. 
it, it was, it was sacred, right? You could yeah. feel it was, yeah, we were all in this bubble together, Yeah. right? Yeah. All of us. Yeah. And just as a testament to memories as a kid, I think that memory for those kids, you know, gives them the tools to work with grief in their life. And then they share that down the road when they're adults with other people, right? Because right. when you see someone grieving, you want to help them out. And if they know the tools now, they can say, hey, listen, this helped me out. Maybe this will help you out. That's right. Yeah. You can make the world a better place. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's funny because uh, I I was there and one of the first after like a couple of probably the last day, I just like turned around and I was talking to one of the um, other cabin buddies there. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing if like we had this, you know, like like that everyone, especially like we didn't have this growing up and we had losses, but even now, like, wouldn't it be amazing for all kids to be able to do this and have this experience? But there's a very limited amount of spots available, right? That's right. There's only 40 that, that can go. And like, I'm guessing more than 40 children are grieving yes. in Ontario. Right? We have capacity in our camp for 50. Okay. Yeah. So the first charters there, we had 38. This year we had 40. And we're hoping for 50. So do, you, do you think it's, um, since I'm guessing a lot of children have lost a lot of loved ones, do you think it's just the amount of... Um, people being notified that the camp's available for them? Is it the hardest part? That's the, as with any initiative, yeah. it's the marketing of uh, it. Okay. And getting the flyers into the hands of school counselors and teachers. And there's there are resources out there, but we want people to know that this is there. It's a free camp for all kids, yeah. right? We had children come from up north this year. Wow. So Sue and I drove, Susan is the camp director for Camp Aaron, Susan Weepa. So we drove up north to Wasaga Beach and met uh, four families up there. Collingwood Berry and Wasaga Beach. Wow. Yeah. So they came to camp this year as well. So it's not inclusive to Southern Ontario. It's just mm -hmm. anyone who, who needs it. Yes. Wow. It must be um, difficult too, I think, for parents to recognize when their child might need, uh, you know, just communication, right? Like, how can that child express themselves properly? And when does the parent know that they need help in uh, helping the child understand the grief? So, you know, I can imagine some parents would even come up across the opportunity and say, no, you know, they're okay, or that's all right, you know, leave that for someone else, you know. At my work, uh, for example, sometimes there's free counseling and whatnot for people, right? And, you know, you're always surprised that people don't go, you know, more people don't take the, those opportunities. Yes. Some, some people are embarrassed or they don't know that it's okay to talk about it, right? right? And some people don't want to talk about it, but they want to be with others who understand. Right? That's why, again, the other the activities at camp, this is cool. Even when we're not talking about it, we're all in the canoe together. Right. And I know why we're here. We're all sharing a loss. So sometimes they don't want to actually talk. But just sitting with another human in that space is so special. Yeah, listening to yeah. those stories. And so uh, moving on to so like day one, day two was all filled with activities that uh, you guys wanted to have. You had people facilitate those activities. Can you name some of those activities? Yes. I'll start with Dreamcatchers. Oh, you did that. Yeah. Joshua Black led <laughs> with, with Sandra Lucas, right? Yeah. You guys um, help children to talk about their dreams if they wanted to mm -hmm. and make Dreamcatchers, yeah. right? So we had the Dreamcatcher activity, which was hugely popular. <laughs> Too many choices I've heard. Yeah. So we'll, you know, hopefully you'll come back next year and we'll fix that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we had a rock wall activity. So Chris talked about uh, grief as an obstacle mm. and challenge and how do we face a challenge one step at a time, oh, right? Creating that nice. yeah, team like effort that. 
lean on your team and, and to be there at the rock ball too to see kids get to the top who had maybe decided, oh, I can't do this. With a little bit of coaching and help from their friends, they were able to rise. Uh, we had the canoe activity uh, with Elizabeth and Alana, talking about waves of grief and a little bit of meditation and deep breathing. Um, and what happens when we all row together and look how far we go. And um, what else do we have? We had highly, oh, and we had memory boxes with Betty. Okay. Yeah. And Betty talked about um, the shiny memories, so we had some shiny stones so kids could relate. We had the average memories, like, oh, he ate cornflakes for breakfast, smooth mm -hmm. stones. And then we had some rough rocks, the rougher memories, remembering someone in the casket or at the moment of death. And helping kids, Betty helped kids to think about all of the memories, and one is not more important than the other. They all coexist, and it's okay, mm -hmm. and, you know, validating. They, the kids made luminary bags with Darlene, yeah. um, and they could put their symbols on these beautiful white sandwich bags, very uh, thin bags. And each bag um, had a battery-operated light put into it. So at night, the children came with their cabins and set their bags down this path to the lake. And as dusk uh, descended on us, we could, all the bags were aglow with all the symbols. We had photos of all of these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about rituals. We talk about how we're getting away from as people rituals, and it's that's you're like bringing them all back, or like, hey kids, let's go through these rituals that's that right. will help us progress in life. Exactly, and we want children and their families to know you can use ritual anytime you want. Mm -hmm. And any kind of ritual is a-okay. Simple battery-operated light from the dollar store in a sandwich bag yeah. became a beautiful tribute to their parent and lit our paths down to the lake. Yeah, and, just, yeah, yeah. and just like with the memory roll, everyone was respectful and it was this peace, this really quietness. And people, even after they said, okay, it's over, they stayed. Yes. And so you just tell it they were just feeling. I didn't want to lose that. You no. Know. At the at the luminary yeah. ceremony as well, the children stayed for about half an hour after quietly watching the candles float out onto the water. Yeah. And Orly was we had um, music therapy was the other one. We had drumming circle with Orly. Yeah. That was the other awesome activity. Great drumming idea. Our feelings. <laughs> yes. And Orly played at the luminary ceremony too. Yeah. Very tribal, right? Very uh, small community. And uh, obviously, we talk about we've gotten away from that, but you know, you're bringing it back because it's a community that supports individuals during times of loss. And that's all needed. Yes. Well, and like I was talking to Orly, and she was, I was like, question, what is music? How would you do that with grief? And she was saying, well, grief's an emotion, and there's different emotions in grief. And then I started understanding that, yeah, like every music genre, right? You have screamo, well, that's really anger, you know, put into sound, right? And then you have those love ballads, right? And so it's like love put into sound. And so like the sound itself has a beat. And then she was sort of saying, explaining to me, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I really put it into perspective, right? And I was like, love or grief as a color, what would it be, right? Yes. So it's like another approach to understanding feeling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we have so many grief activities because we can't um, meet everybody's needs. Like not everybody has the same needs. So we were trying to offer many things for those kids who are physical grievers, for those who are more emotional, for those who are more cognitive um, and spiritual. We were trying to have something for everybody so they could have something to take away themselves. Yeah, I thought it was an amazing event. And hopefully you guys invite me back again to be able to do that 
I can play the drums, you know. I'll, yeah. I'll come back. <laughs> nice, yeah, Sean Ram. Want to be a part of Camp Aaron? Okay, <laughs> put that on the list too. Oh, it just sounds like an amazing place, you know. It I just did it. And fun, we had lots of fun. It was a lot, yeah. It wasn't just tears. Yeah, it wasn't just tears. There was a lot of laughs and a lot of games being played. So it was a nice balance. Think about the importance of that in that child's life that are going to take it forward like you said mm-hmm. yeah that image well, even the adult life I to be able to stand on a table and, and dance and sing yeah, at yes. lunch which is kind of weird piece, but this is what happened and uh, sing along lunch okay yeah sing along yes. lunch yeah, okay yes <laughs> and you don't do that every day no I don't think I've ever done that so to be able to be free and be like a kid again mm-hmm. it was actually a very beneficial to me on my journey especially in academia where you're not really Kid, childlike, you know, like there's yes. a lot of restrictions of being an adult around here. Yes, <laughs> Camp Winona. I should mention Camp Winona. Oh. They're our partner as well, so they have their own staff who are lifeguards. And you saw how knowledgeable they all are. They run the activities. They know the safety around the canoe, the safety on the rock wall, maybe the lay of the land. Um, and again, they, yeah, polar bear tip. They provide right. We had the polar bear tip. They provide the lifeguards. Camp Winona. We couldn't do it without them as well in their expertise um and they led the sing-along lunches yeah yeah it's definitely a beautiful experience i have, I have a question just uh, that will help us lead into uh what we want to talk about next is grief um but what's uh what would be your ideal situation maybe down the road ideal goal of what uh how in our communities we can incorporate this more it's a big question. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, that people aren't afraid to talk about loss. If someone's crying and they're having a leaky day, that's okay. We don't have to minimize or say, hey, let's go read a book about, let's all be happy. You know what I mean? That people can just sit with it. I guess I have a vision of simpler times where families would get together and have apple pie and neighbors would look after one another. And I think a world where we are okay with sadness, that it's not a mental illness, that it's a normal part of being human, as is happy and joy and disgust. And, and you, have you seen Inside Out? Yes, and I have all the characters in my office, yeah. including Bing Bong. I have them all. Just to, yeah, a world where we're more balanced with feelings and that it's okay, it is what it is. That that's a, yeah absolutely and um, on that note uh, you yourself um, have you had personal experiences with grief that you can share that you feel comfortable talking about? Yes, um, I had a big loss in, when I was 22, which deeply informed me and will forever. Um, but I had um, dreams when my grandparents died. Um, not the grandparents who Chris Markey looked after, but later as an adult when right. I had my own kids. And my grandfather died, so my grand, my great, his great-grandkids, my children, drew pictures to put in a casket, and my daughter at that time was learning haiku poems in school. Mm-hmm. So Paulina wrote a haiku poem on this beautiful picture of a nice skate with wings. My grandfather was this uh, hockey player who um, was up to the Habs many, many years ago. What's his name? His name was Charlie. So um, I had a dream, and I'm... I think part of the dream, you know more about this obviously, Josh, than I do, but were memories from when I was little. And I remember watching him skate, thinking 
he's flying. He's not skating. He's, I just remember thinking, Papa is flying. And he, he was going around the rink, and I was watching over the boards, and I just had that vision. So when I dreamt of him when I was an adult, I think it was because my kids had done the beautiful artwork of the skate with the wing on it, and they're like, Papa's playing hockey in heaven, and he's fine with the haiku poem um, gliding on his blades of steel in the last couple of lines. And then I had these memories come forward of me watching him fly. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful memories. And his, he had Paget's disease, so he had the bow legs formed the older he got. But in the dream, his legs were tall and straight, and I can hear the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh of my grandfather just skating around, like flying. It's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. dream. It brings me goosebumps. And how old were you in the dream? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, it was more him. Yeah, you just seeing him through your eyes, but you know. Yeah, and I had the words of the haiku poem, but the memories from when I was four, it all kind of blended together. So interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, and it's amazing because the legs, they're an important part of skating. I yeah. mean, there's so many images and <laughs> symbols in that. And sounds, the sounds of the blades cutting the, the ice, right? Wow. Yeah, and he just had this look. He was just peaceful. Mm-hmm. Was it particularly difficult dealing uh, with the loss after his death? Not particularly difficult. Just sadness, adult sadness. I mean, I had my grandfather for a really long time, and I spent a lot of time with him and my grandmother at the cottage. I was really close. I was the first grandchild, too. So I think um, as my cousins came who were much younger than me, they didn't get to experience my grandfather, you know, my grandparents scurrying around and being of able body. They were 42 and 43 when I was born. They were young old we thought back then but they were younger when i was their first grandchild right so i spent a lot of time with them doing things just sadness even now like i'll think of something when my when my girls graduated from high school and everybody gets all dressed up i could hear my grandmother saying oh did you see the pink dress or did you see the bow in her hair and i missed my grandmother hugely at that time yeah 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 that's okay it's moments like those where you know the grandparents are around. We were at a toddler's birthday party yesterday, right? Yeah. My cousin's, uh, um, my cousin's son, my nephew, his name's Kobe, and the grandmother, his grandmother, um, man, it's so cute because she was, she kept saying "I love you" and going after him, and it was an interesting interaction. Those are the sweet moments, well, right? She lost her husband, right? And so she was there, right, as a single grandparent. And so when you, she was asking, you know, like, I love you, uh, give me a kiss. You know, there's part of me that was understanding where that was coming from, right? Because she lost the one that gave her hugs, who gave her kisses. And so she's longing for having that. To have from a child is it's almost just yeah. right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and so moving forward, so what, um, right now, so what dream would you want moving forward of your grandfather? Do you want him to continue to skate? Do you want to skate with him? Like, what do you, what would you think? I would like to skate with him. That is a great question. <laughs> Yeah, so I grew up dancing. I'm a dancer. I don't dance anymore. I was, but in my heart, I still <laughs> Okay, yeah, wonderful. I understand that. Okay. Yeah. So when I was doing my master's degree, one of our classes was family of origin. And I had this creative buzz sometimes in my head when I hear music, I choreograph. When nice. I was first a funeral director, I, I choreographed in my head black cars. They look better in the shade. But I worked with all men. I'm like, who's want to be in my video? They're not a video. I, I said my movie. I've got this movie, and they're laughing. Oh, 
Christine has got this crazy idea that we all had sunglasses, we were all in our suits in the parking lot. But I, cre- I choreographed this number in my head that I shared with my family of origin class, but it was ice skating to a whole bunch of Christmas songs. And I would love to skate with him in my dream. That's wow. what I would like to do. Oh, wow. yeah, that's nice. that's, that's powerful. I can, I, can, I can see why you're a, a, a director of the camp now. You, know? <laughs> you have all these creative ideas. You know, choreography is very difficult. It's no joke. So you, you've got that in you, right? You've got a creative side that you're fulfilling right now. But I question, I really question that because you haven't got us to choreograph anything yet. Right, so I'm guessing next year you might up the yeah, ante for yeah. the volunteers to like really choreograph a dance or something at the beginning of the uh, ceremony. I do have a vision. Oh, you do? Uh, <laughs> all right, I do. It's just yeah, slow playing it, right? Yeah. But I had last year at the end of camp that everybody, it's more of a commercial for camp, but everybody okay. comes across a field at the camera and everybody's dancing together. Together is the song where all the wind is blowing, got kids smiling. And, and the volunteers carrying kids on their shoulders okay, and kids, yeah. you know, holding hands and everybody yeah. marching across the field. <laughs> I do have that in my head. Well, yeah. that's good. Hopefully that can manifest soon. Absolutely. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and again, what uh, the appreciation is that you understand that everybody's got a different way of learning and, yes. and adapting and this and that. And you introduced that at the camp as well. Yes. Yeah, um, it's been a pleasure. I know we can again. All our all our guests, we talked for hours and hours, and we will definitely have you on again because uh, you have a lot of experience and you have a lot of energy and passion and creativity to bring. Yeah. And again, we want let's get back to community. Our platform is a type of community that we're trying to bring across, and uh, yours is as well. So. So let's connect and create a bigger community. Yeah, to talk about loss, right? And all different sort of modes of it. And this is one way people like podcasts is a new thing uh, that's really gained popularity and it's connecting people. And you're connecting your story, your experiences, your losses with everyone else. And so, but also the work you're doing, I think it can help a lot of people who maybe have children um, and haven't asked about their loss in a while. And so for me, I think it's very powerful to have you back on again to share the knowledge you have. We just scratched the surface, right? We just really talked about your journey, but not the knowledge base that you sort of have gained from that. Thank you for having me. The work you're doing is very important. I want you both to know that as well. People can listen in the privacy of their own home and connect mm. to what you're saying, and you're helping to make the world a safer place for grieving people as well. We will all face grief, right? The death rate is 100%. We will all die at some point or come face-to-face with it, the work that you guys are doing is very important as well. Thank you. Well, we hope so. Um, everybody, if you want to get a hold of uh, Christina or maybe shoot her a message or learn more about Camp Aaron, uh, you can just visit her website, christinawalton.ca. You can also visit the website, uh, camphospice.org uh, backslash camp-aaron and you can learn more about Camp Aaron there. Uh, visit us at griefdreams.ca to check out our newsletter. You can also listen or download our podcast at podbean.com or iTunes, Instagram at griefdreams, Instagram at griefdreams. And if you have any comments or questions, you can visit us at griefdreamspodcast.gmail.com. That's all. It's been great. Until next time.